Hello and welcome back to episode 39 of Double Reel. This is the third part of our monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. Hopefully you've caught up with the first two parts which came out in the last couple of weeks. If not, please do go back to your app, download them and have a listen. Part one is Double Reel Monthly with news, reviews of new releases including Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, my monthly David Cronenberg film which was a dangerous method, and James's look at a Nick Cage film picked at random. Part two is our regular features including our classics and recommended feature, A Tale of Two Sisters, our hidden gem, The Frighteners, our one that got away, Joe Carnahan's White Jazz, and a remake hate watch of 2005's The Fog. Now in our final part for this month, we give you the big conversation where we talk about a topic from the film world in more detail. First of all, a warm welcome back to my co-host, James Adamson. Welcome, James. Thank you very much. Let's get back into it. So the topic for our big conversation uh, this uh, month, it sort of came to us while we were recording the last one, actually. Uh, It's about casting decisions and what-if moments uh, around casting in films. Uh, casting what ifs is a bit of a kind of uh, sort of a favorite topic especially you know big films where you know different people were considered for parts and you can go online and see stories of like how different a film could have been if such and such a person had been in before that so we're just going to dig into some of our favorite ones and see what it tells us about casting uh, you, you made an interesting comment didn't you James about this to saying sometimes that the filmmakers are lucky they didn't get what they wanted in terms of casting, and I think that's going to be uh, quite a fun one to have a look at. Um, We asked on the socials for people's own thoughts on casting what-ifs and and like casting decisions or or casting alternatives that uh, caught people's eye. Um, As you can imagine, you know, quite famous ones and quirky ones jump to people's mind, different reasons. Sometimes people are saying, oh, I would have loved to have seen this, and sometimes it's like, what a a mess would have been if, if that had happened instead. Um, but things that jumped out, uh, apparently Willem Dafoe was considered for the Joker um, in the, the Batman film uh, where Jack Nicholson eventually played the character, 1989. Um, I think looking at Willem Dafoe's sort of diabolical smile is probably where people got that from, but apparently was in consideration. Apparently George Clooney was wanted to play Nick Fury in The Avengers, uh, which a lot of people couldn't get their heads around. Um, there were quite a lot of suggestions, so sorry if I don't you know read your name out. Um, John Krasinski was nearly Captain America, apparently. Uh, and, and there's a couple of big ones here. Will Smith turned down Neo in The Matrix and Django in Django Unchained, um, which he may have lived thank to regret. F- no, thank fuck for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you'll find in some of these is that we say thank fuck it didn't happen, but the actor themselves might say they live yeah. to regret it. Um, Bob says, uh, I would have loved to have seen Nick Cage as Superman. Uh, that's when we did as the one that got away. And that that's not so much a casting what if because the part in the film didn't go to somebody else. That version of the film just didn't happen. But yeah, we nearly got Nick Cage as Superman. Uh, Jeremy gave us several, which I find quite interesting. Uh, John Lithgow was almost Doc Brown in Back to the Future until Christopher Lloyd read for the role wearing uh, the wig. Um, huh. Christopher Reeve and Sylvester Stallone both turned, the, both turned down the lead role in Romancing the Stone, which went to Michael Douglas. Probably made a big star of Michael Douglas as well, although he was already quite famous. Uh, Eddie Murphy said the only role he turned down that he regrets is Eddie Valant in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, now, that would have been interesting. You know, the only yeah. thing the only thing that talks faster than Roger Rabbit is Eddie Murphy. Um, <laughs> Christopher Lee said the two roles he turned down that he regrets, and these are interesting. Uh, Dr. Loomis in Halloween, so Donald Pleasant's became iconic uh but that could have been christopher lee uh and dr rumak in airplane which i think is the um leslie nielsen part um, uh, I, I mean it's it's so hard yeah. to imagine anyone but leslie nielsen leslie that. nielsen is so fucking funny and i don't uh, get that vibe from christopher lee he might have done well but yeah i mean christopher lee i think he just loved the idea of doing deadpan jokes but i think if, if christopher lee had done that right what you would have had was 
I quite enjoyed Christopher Lee being in a comedy for a change. Yeah. But what you got instead with Leslie Nielsen was it created a new almost subgenre of film, which is Leslie Nielsen doing that sort yeah. of, you know, I am serious and don't call me Shirley. That's just a whole new world, you know. Um, a, cu- a couple of others that kind of people sort of mentioned uh, generally. Um, uh, I think we'll, we'll get into this one in a bit more detail, but it did get mentioned a fair bit. Tom Selleck is Indiana Jones. Apparently, Burt Reynolds was considered to play Rocky Balboa. Um, and the reason that didn't happen is that Sylvester Stallone dug his heels and insisted on playing Rocky, took a fraction of the fee and everything else because he just knew that playing Rocky was going to make his uh, choice. Um, apparently, Al Pacino was uh, in consideration to play Han Solo. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, it's just it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Hard to imagine. Do you know what's weird is that I kind of thought Al Pacino's too old to play that, but he's probably the same age. Two, he's two years older than than uh, Harrison what, Ford. It's weird how I think Al Pacino is older than him, like significantly, but yeah. actually not. Yeah, there's a couple of quite uh, quite major ones with John Travolta, which we'll get into later. John Travolta turned down a, a couple of different uh, films that eventually went to Tom Hanks, including uh, Philadelphia and uh, I think The Green Mile. Um. I can't imagine John Travolta in either of those. No, I mean, the thing about Philadelphia is that at the time, I don't think you need that now, but people who wanted to kind of get the message out about AIDS and stuff, um, they they needed someone who was an absolute everyman because they needed literally anyone, however perhaps ignorant they were or, or prejudiced against gay people and everything else. They needed to look up on screen and go, that could be me. And that's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is the screen everyman. You know, obviously, yeah. he, he he gives that illusion, right, of being like just an ordinary bloke. And he's not an ordinary bloke. He's a terrific actor who can carry a film. He's obviously more charismatic and everything than your average person. But he he's the person that you want to play an everyman, like Jimmy Stewart used to be, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we'll, we'll probably come back to a few of the others, uh, you know, that, that jump back. I made, a no- mo- made notes of a few things. Um but as you can see, there are quite sort of interesting ones where you say, oh, that that could have been interesting um, or that could have been terrible. Um, so, James, do you, do you want to start by saying, I think it was an interesting comment you made and I think it's a good jumping off point for the conversation. Sometimes filmmakers are lucky they don't get what they want. Yeah, so I have found that Film studios will make sort of shortlists, and I don't know how much truth there is and how far they went in getting those people. But when you read that initial name, you think, oh, you know, thank God they didn't go for them because partly probably because you've seen the film, and upon reflection, you think, no, I can't see them doing that. So I think for most of the ones you've just said there, I've kind of gone, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work because I'm so used to the original actor playing that character. Yeah, I mean, with some of them, you think. You wonder if maybe they 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 get the star and then they adjust the film to the star that they get. We'll, 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 yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a topic to be had probably once we've talked about the main topic of like casting motives and everything about casting a star in a movie and, and the effect that has on things because I'm, I'm I'm fairly sure there are big in, big instances of I mean Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop is a good example. Um, that was originally going to be Sylvester Stallone and was going to be a much less comedic film, fortunately, because I quite like Sylvester Stallone and I'm sure he's quite a funny bloke in real life, but he's, he doesn't do great comedy. 
Um, and that was originally going to be more of an action type film. But when Eddie Murphy essentially was the biggest star on television with uh, on Saturday Night Live and then had uh, a couple of absolutely massive hits, uh, he, he got Beverly Hills Cop and they said, well, this guy... We, we will change the movie to fit the star because that's what's going to work. So they, they made Beverly Hills Cop a lot more comedy-oriented and let basically let Eddie Murphy cook, right? And I think it changed the film because of the star that they had. So sometimes you'll never really know because they make the movie fit the star they have. But other times you go, yeah, that's just, mis- that's just miscast, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Um do you want me to just start listing the ones that I've read? I've done a yeah, bit of reading. Yeah, go on. So, I've taken these from a couple websites, and the first one that I saw was O.J. Simpson as the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. This is this is a famous one. O.J. So, o. Simpson was not a huge actor at the time, but he had dipped his toes in the water of making films. And it is... So, it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been that much of a surprise to see him in a movie, but it is a bit of a weird one looking back now compared to Arnie, right? Yeah, so the the studio said they wanted a large celebrity to play the the T eight hundred character, the Terminator, and obviously OJ Simpson's a former football player. But I think when you hear OJ Simpson, you think, oh no, that's the guy that you know allegedly killed his wife. So you know, yeah, you don't know that, but at the time they didn't know that. In fact, O.J. Simpson's probably... I mean, he was in The Towering Inferno. He popped up in films from time to time. And prior to his trial, the most kind of famous film appearances he made were in the film versions of Naked Gun. Yeah. And his character was constantly being kind of dragged under a car and terrible, you know, knocked over and bad stuff happening to him. And I think the funny aspect of that was, although in his personality, there are a couple of articles about him not being as kind of nice as his persona, which turned out to be pretty, pretty prophetic. I think there was an element of how funny is that, that that's happening to OJ, that kind of, you know, almost kind of national treasure kind of thing. There was something irreverent about it. James Cameron did say, like, oh, OJ Simpson's too nice to play the Terminator, which just... That's the funny thing, is that that various people making that decision decided audiences would not find OJ Simpson convincing as a homicidal killer, Um, which is a very ironic thought to look back on now, right? Yeah. Um, Other ones that I've found that I don't want to spend too much time on, but I find quite interesting... Sure. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Peter Quill in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. That simply doesn't work. He's I, li- I, I like him. Um, it, I how- think as a person, I think it would have worked because I think he plays that kind of cheeky, young kind of character well, but I just don't think he fits the physique of it. You know, yeah, Chris you need, Pratt's you need, a big guy. You need that balance. Chris, Chris Pratt is a unicorn in that sense and that he, he turned into, I mean, he was always more of a comedy guy, but he sort of did Zero Dark Thirty and, and hit the gym and suddenly became someone who could do the action hero stuff and the comedy. And he was worth his weight in gold for the Guardians franchise, wasn't he? Yeah. Now, this one, when you hear it, you go, no, hold on. But... Hugh Jackman as Captain Jack Sparrow. It's a so, different movie, but yeah. So well, yes, exactly. So Jack Sparrow wasn't actually going to be the way that Johnny Depp portrayed him in the film. He was going to be a bit more of like a kind of swashbuckler, <clears throat> like yeah. kind of like the heroic leading kind of pirate mm-hmm. captain. But the um, what's that guy's name that I can never pronounce? Jerry Bruck Bruckmeyer. Jer- Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah. He um, casted Depp because he felt like it would attract the kind of 
teen to young adult audiences. Yeah. Um, I suppose... That's definitely another film where Johnny Depp sort of changed the tone of the film with the way he played the character because all of those kind of ticks and the funny voice and everything. I think I think Johnny Depp was quite astute in that, in that he realised that with all the other stuff going on and Jeffrey Rush, Rush giving it the full kind of evil Jeffrey pirate. Rush. Yeah. yeah give, what, what did I say? No, I'm saying Jeffrey Rush giving it the full Jeffrey Rush yeah, treatment. Yeah, yeah, he's you know he's given absolutely you know both barrels on that and and the action and the uh, you know the the the, the the, the fiendish monkey stealing gold coins and all of that sort of thing. He knew that the only way to kind of balance the seesaw on that is for him to be giving quite a, a colourful performance of his own. I don't, you know, I mean, I mean, Hugh Jackman tried that where he played Captain Hook or whatever character he was playing in that pan thing. Uh, and maybe that's just a terrible movie and we'll never know, but I just don't feel like, I like, and I really like Hugh Jackman. I'm just not sure that's the same I think if we had like a kind of Blackbeard film that Hugh Jackman played Blackbeard in, I think that'd be more interesting, but it had a more kind of serious tone. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, but Pirates of the Caribbean is not meant to be taken seriously no, at all. No, no, yeah. Um, other ones that I didn't really give a shit about, like Miles Teller and Emma Watson as the lead characters in La La Land instead of Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Don't care. Don't care. At I, I, I don't. I mean, La La Land's not my type of film and everything. I mean, Damien, Damien Chazelle's done some stuff I absolutely love. I think with La La Land, it feels weird because Emma Stone won an Oscar for her performance. But I think the, I think the what that film is generally about and trying to do was a little bit more important than who you cast in it. You couldn't miss you could you could cast the wrong people in that. But I think there's quite a lot of people who would be right for the role. Do you see what I mean? It's not like it hinged on Ryan Reynolds and Emma Stone being a certain way. They just needed to fit the tone of the film, really. <laughs> yeah. Um... At the end of the day, I reckon that's the same film with those two, and yeah. I don't know if it wins all the Oscars, but it's, nothing changes yeah. for me. Yeah, um, we've already touched on Will Smith as Neo. Um, his reasoning was that he didn't really get the plot explained to him very well by the Bachowskis, but yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, we'll, we'll let, 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 let's do this now at the same time. There's two yeah. things to this. One is Will Smith is. I've I've heard the story about Will Smith where he quite early on in his career he sat down and looked at all the most commercially successful films of all time. He would watch them over and over. I think maybe he had a management team, maybe he had you know, other people he was working with on this. And he would um, uh, sit down and analyse each of those films and, and, and see what did all the most financially successful films of all time have in common, and then really, really want to work on films that had all of those elements. And in, on the one hand, Will Smith is a hugely financially successful actor Till recently, um, the you know his his leading man you know status is kind of secure uh, over a twenty year period almost yeah twenty years twenty years, um, but I think it led to him not taking enough risks in his roles because he looked at something like Django Unchained and just went I think he's just so so naturally kind of risk averse that he doesn't look at those films, and uh, yeah. you say he doesn't get it. The thing is. I think there are certain people who would have gone, I don't get it, but these guys are mental and I liked Bound, so I'm going to give it a go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he he needed to, because he didn't completely get absolutely every aspect of the idea, he was like, oh, I'm not doing it. And other people just went, oh, you know what, these guys have got something, you know? Well, these guys, I mean that in the generic phrase, I'm not trying to dead name the Wachowskis.
other person who didn't, you know, the other person who turned down um, uh, uh, the Matrix. I'm away. I don't know if it's the same one, but I'm away to touch on another person that touched, uh, turned down the Matrix. So let's we, do it. Let's do it. Uh, Sean Connery is Morpheus. Yes, that's the same one. And Sean Connery no. didn't get it either, did he? Well, yeah. I mean, Sean Connery's in his fucking what seventies by this point, nearly seventy, sixty. He's sixty, sixty-seven when that film comes out. I think. Um. Yeah, he just didn't get it. Didn't get the technological side of the film. Said so the whole premise was just too confusing. Didn't want to do it. Um, and he's yeah. a, he's a big star at that point, and he's an action star because although he's an older guy, he did The Rock only three years previous to that, and, and showed that within sort of certain parameters, he could still kick ass. Um, and uh, he would have been a he would have been a big star name. I mean, he was he was a big name still still a, a box office draw at that time. But he he didn't get it at all, did he? You know, he and I'd. I don't think he would have suited that film. I mean, I think it would be cool having his kind of voice playing Morpheus, but Lawrence Fishburne just smashed that yeah, out of the top. So. Yeah, he gave it a certain... I mean, you're looking for someone who gives that part a certain authority, which obviously Sean Connery did, but I think there's an element of when Lawrence Fishburne makes those speeches, it's kind of, yeah, he really is, he's really trying to tell you something, you know, and there's, there's something in the way he kind of gives those speeches about, you know, the red pill and the blue pill and all that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not too remiss about that one. I've got a couple, I've got a few, I've got loads to be fair. Do you want me to just keep going? Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, let's just re- read them out and I'll try not to inter- interject unless it's a genuinely interesting. No, one. no, no, it's fine. Um, we've got face off. Now there's about 14 different actors that were considered for this. Yeah. Um, so it obviously has Nicolas Cage and John Fulton. It ended up probably being the best two in terms of just the aesthetic of it because they sort of look similar in a way. They got enough of a similar sort of height and build and they're also yeah. quite quite weird. adept at playing weirdo characters, which w- really worked. But it was actually... You know, I, can't, I couldn't believe this when I read it. It was written for Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. You see, now, you see, they look nothing like each other and I mean, hated each other, but imagine. During a certain era. See, the thing is that that film could well have had its original script idea written up like 10 years before it actually comes out in 1997. But it, it was probably written at a time when literally every film probably had Sylvester Stallone and or Arnold Schwarzenegger in mind for it. In the same way that for a long time, there's a lot of talk about John, Tom Cruise nearly played this, Tom Cruise nearly played that. Because... Everyone making a movie that wants to be successful goes to the actors who are going to make it successful. So I'm not at all surprised they were considered, but that that's not the same movie. And people would have asked questions about the height difference for a start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, other mental ones like Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Just don't give him a gun. Yeah. Ooh, ouch. Um, but apparently the most likely to duo, sorry, would have been Michael Douglas and Harrison Ford. Was there anything about what time, what era that was? Because I, I, when... I feel I feel like they're a bit old to play it in the nineties, but I reckon it would have been absolutely belting in the like, 80s, sort of yeah. late eighties into early nineties. They could have pulled it off. But it, the director John Woo said, "No, no, no, I'm going to pick these two. And Michael Douglas just remained as a producer for that film. Yeah. Interesting. Um, My, Michael, one, Mike, Michael Douglas would probably have respected that because Michael Douglas's greatest success as a producer of a film is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, he won um, an Oscar, yeah. and he had to tell his own dad that he couldn't have the part in the movie. 
because Kirk Douglas was lobbying so hard to play the Randall McMurphy, so I remember the name now, um, character oh, yeah. in, uh, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And they were talking, and, and Kirk Douglas is, is still a big name in the 70s, still a big actor, but it wasn't quite right. You know why actors want to play those parts? Um, because it's a great part. There's that story about uh, uh, Laurence Olivier on his deathbed, you know, getting out of, not on his deathbed, but only with only months to live, like climbing up out of his wheelchair and ranting down the phone uh, at his agent for not getting him the part that Michael Gambon just got in The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover. Because actors would just love to play a part, whether they're right for it or not. Um, and Michael Douglas, as the producer of the film, had to say, Dad, I'm sorry, but you're not right for this part and you're not having it. And Kirk Douglas is a formidable guy, right? So... So I think I think Michael Douglas would hopefully have respected John Woo for that. Yeah. Um I couldn't believe this one when I read it, but Finding Nemo. Did you know about this? Go on. So, um they recorded the entire film with William H. Macy from Shameless. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As Nemo's dad, Marlon. Um uh, but when the Disney CEO saw the, the finished version, he said the movie wasn't as good as the studio believed. Mm. So the Pixar then got Albert Brooks to revoice the entire movie. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, and obviously that's... The film, like, it's one of Pixar's biggest hits, so I don't know if it was the right call, how it would have been with William H. Macy, because I don't necessarily think that Nemo's dad is what makes that film, but... Yeah, but I mean, I think we've got. I mean, we've got a movie in our, you know, in our remake restoration this this month, and I know it's this is voice and that's acting, but the shipping news that we that we you know we talk about this month in in the remake restoration, there are sometimes films which they need every element to be right because it's like almost like casting a spell. It's having an effect on the audience, and the audience has got to buy into everything to do with the movie. I mean, I'd, lo- I'd be quite interested to hear the audio, if there was some audio of William H. Macy doing the voice, because I can see William H. Macy playing a good, anxious dad. Um, but I do think Albert Brooks is amazing in that. Um, it's funny, look, the the finished product worked, and we, we slag off executives enough times for, um, you know, making decisions that don't work out. So fair play to them. They're, I mean, I, it's and it's a bold decision, right? I know it probably doesn't take long to re-record audio for a movie, right? But still. Yeah, I think something. I don't think Disney or Pixar will care very much because it became a massive hit. But yeah. it's interesting to think that not a supporting character, but a character that you don't really think about as much when watching Finding Nemo. Um, yeah, becomes like gets replaced with from an actor yeah. who's also quite well respected. I, yeah, I just find it interesting. Um, there's other ones that are here. The Nicholas Cage was apparently considered for Neo. Yeah, um, needs to be a young guy, if you ask me. Yeah, um, I don't know how true it is. Apparently, Nicolas Cage turned it down because filming would have been too far um, from his home. Yeah, because they filmed. Yeah, they filmed it all in Sydney, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Who framed Roger Rabbit came up a couple of times. Harrison Ford pops up again. Apparently, um, the first choice, but too expensive for the mm-hmm. lead role of Eddie. Um, is it Valiant? Yeah. He, but um, he would have been good in terms of um, a grouchy kind of uh, detective. Yeah. But too expensive, so they actually went to Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Bill Murray didn't have an agent. He only has a voicemail. So 
he didn't get the voicemail, he didn't hear it, and Bill Murray said that if he'd known of the offer, he would have taken it. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, Heath Rimmer Drab it. I mean, it's not one of my favourite films, but I know it was a beloved film. There's something about Bob Hoskins that, A, he kind of looks right in that kind of, you know, 40s-style hat-and-suit costume. And he's also quite good at the kind of exasperated, fast-talking, like, style of, of the actor. And Bill Murray's... He's a bit more languid than that, isn't he? But, but the whole thing is the actor looks at that and goes, well, I'd, I'd love to have done that because they, they often like to play parts that stretch them. I can't I can't see Bill Murray in that role, can you? I sort of can, but he doesn't really play grouchy the way that Harrison Ford and Bob Hoskins can. He's mm. much more kind of sarcastic Yeah. in his kind of, you know, Asshole protagonist roles. That's I think that's the best way to describe Bill Murray. He's a, mm. he's just a bit of a prick, but he's not mm. as much of a grouch. Yeah. Speaking of Bob Hoskins, though, he wasn't the first choice, or wasn't the only star attached to play Mario and Super Mario Brothers. They considered Tom Hanks. Mm. Yeah. Again, um, I mean that film comes out in nineteen ninety two, and you consider Tom Hanks because he's a big star. That's the well, only reason. The studio apparently. Went for Hoskins because he was the more bankable actor, quotation. Really? Um, yep. Which that's, I found... That's interesting. Yeah, interesting. You, you know but, you know what that is, though, right? Do you remember we were talking about um, Steven Spielberg's um, Night Skies project that didn't happen and then became E.T. instead? Yeah. That was on the back of one film that didn't do as well at the box office as his last one and got bad reviews. And Tom Hanks, despite having been very successful in a number of parts, you know, big and everything else, I think he did something like Joe versus the Volcano and something else, and they flopped. And on the back of one flop, everyone everyone panics in Hollywood. So it's quite possible that at a very brief moment in time, they didn't consider Tom Hanks to be bankable, which is ludicrous, right? But that's how Hollywood decision makers work, because they're just terrified of losing their jobs and losing millions of dollars. Yeah, I think... I, Tom Hanks dodged a bullet with that one anyway. Yeah, it doesn't matter because that film was terrible. I was going to say, a few ones like The Bourne Identity. Brad Pitt was going to meant, was going to play uh, Jason Bourne instead of Matt Damon, but I think Brad Pitt will have been attached to every film like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, two thousand and one, yeah. Two thousand and one, leading man plays this super spy. Mm. Um, Brad Pitt is always going along with plenty of other, um, you know, leading men at the time. I imagine Hugh Jackman was considered him. Um, yeah. all sorts but yeah I think Matt Damon made that role his own um, I don't think Brad Pitt would have ruined the series but I think it would have been a slightly different tone it, it would it would have been a different film um, Brad, Brad Pitt's obviously a very good looking and charismatic man and we have that kind of spy in films and he, he did a very good job in a, in a film called Spy Game which he probably got after not doing the Bourne identity, actually, looking at the timings of that. Um, but Matt Damon, again, we're talking compared to other actors, right? Because obviously Matt Damon is a good-looking bloke and everything, but Matt Damon does give you a bit more of the the bloke no one would notice if you're trying to do that kind of spy. You know, the kind of spy that blends in, doesn't turn up in his fucking Aston Martin drinking martinis. You're looking for the spy that would actually turn up and people wouldn't know who it was. Um, I think Matt Damon does that better than Brad Pitt. Yeah. Um, Pulp Fiction, um, another one. Yeah. Um, Tarantino comes up quite a lot in these things, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Django, um, this, and there's another one later on that we're going to talk about. But the role of uh, Vince Vega was, well, Bruce Willis really wanted the the role, 
but John Travolta ended up getting it, and that was probably the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Daniel Day Lewis is rumored to be in for it as well. Yeah, apparently, he did, really did want Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, that would have been interesting. He would have he would have probably actually done heroin or killed someone. That's right. Yeah, um, and it's apparently the only role that Lewis campaigned for. Don't know how true that is. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I mean, I doubt I doubt Daniel Day Lewis didn't campaign for any roles like in his earlier days. Um, yeah, but. When, when Bruce Willis didn't get the role, the Tarantino um, liked the idea of having Bruce Willis playing Butch. Yeah. Um, but he promised the role to Matt Dillon, but Matt Dillon said that he needed a night to kind of consider the offer, and yeah. Tarantino just cast Willis instantly. Yeah. Said that if Dillon didn't want the part after reading the script, the director didn't want him either. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that's very Tarantino. Can I? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off. I have a Pulp Fiction story. Okay. So, um, Lawrence Fishburne was uh, chosen ahead of Samuel L. Jackson to play um, uh, the Jules part in Pulp Fiction. Okay. Because um, Fishburne was a bigger name than Samuel L. Jackson at that point. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson had been in some big films. He'd been in Jurassic Park the previous year, but he wasn't the box office draw of back, of Jurassic Park, you know? So, and Fishburne's probably a little bit more established at that time. Uh, they're both terrific actors, so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, possibilities that, you know, and fewer parts will lack actors in those days. So there's going to be stories like this. But um, Fishburne was offered Pulp Fiction. Um, uh, Tarantino really wanted him. Uh, and Fishburne turned the role down. Now, I heard a, a, a podcast that Tarantino was a guest on, and he said it was because his new management, uh, Fishburne's new management, had told him not to accept supporting roles. He had a new management at that time that was going, you know, it's time to make Lawrence Fishburne a star. Yeah. Right. And he said, don't take a supporting role. You, you should only take roles where you're in the lead and it's all about you, blah, blah, blah. Fishburne himself said recently that he was. You know, he was at the time he was unsure about being in a film that he thought was glorifying drug use or glamorizing drug use, and that's why he turned it down. Um, so look, believe believe what you like about why he turned it down, but he turned it down. Um, so the role went to Samuel L. Jackson. In the meantime, uh, Larry Fishburne secured the role of uh, Zeus in, in Die Hard with a Vengeance. I say secured; he was offered it. It was more or less written with Fishburne in mind. Fishburne's big, big in the nineties, right? Um, it was offered to him, and negotiations were ongoing about his fee and such like. It was it wasn't a done deal, but it was always a case of this is a big movie. You know, Lawrence wants a bit more money. Let's let's do it. While those negotiations are ongoing, the producers of Die Hard Three, Die Hard with a Vengeance, um, went to the Cannes Film Festival in 1994, and they went to the premiere of Pulp Fiction, where they were blown away by the performance of one Samuel L. Jackson. They immediately cut off negotiations with Lawrence Fishburne and gave the part to Samuel L. Jackson instead. So in another universe, Lawrence Fishburne is riding high in the mid-90s with an Oscar nomination for a Tarantino film and a leading hit in the worldwide biggest hit of 1995. But both those parts ended up going to Samuel L. Jackson, who has never looked back. Lawrence Fishburne's had a fine career, but Samuel L. Jackson became a fucking megastar. Um, so it's really interesting that in, in the course of 12 months, Lawrence Fishburne's career got went very, very different to how it might have done. Interesting. But, again, that's one you just can't see past Samuel L. Jackson. No. Okay, once someone's, once someone's played the part. 
Uh, I'll just do some more Tarantino ones while we're on the topic. Yep. Yep. Um, we've obviously had Will Smith as uh, playing Django and Django Unchained, but Jamie Foxx really smashed that one out of the park. However, mm-hmm. I do think Will Smith would have done well in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the famous one for Inglorious Bastards. Tell me. Do you not know this one? So, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll know it when you hear it, but I'm so just letting Quentin, you drive, mate. So Quentin Tarantino, um, he nearly didn't make Inglorious Bastards because he had that much of a pain in the cunt trying to um, cast who's his face, uh, Hans Lander, played yeah. by Christoph Waltz in the end. He said it was too hard to try and find someone that can convincingly speak French and German and English and trying to find like an, a Hollywood actor that could do the accents that would be a co- like required for all of mm-hmm. that. And he, he nearly just went, you know what, sack this. And then little Christoph Waltz just kind of waltzes in uh, hey. um, and just obviously smashes it. That role was accidentally born to be his, but yeah. Tarantino had uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in mind. Yeah. Now that film just doesn't work with... Um, you know, Jordan Belfort playing um, Hans Lander. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino's got good instincts to try and play DiCaprio as a villain, just not that villain, right? So that's the famous one from that film, but... This one makes me laugh. Donnie Donowitz, a.k.a. The Bear Jew, was going to be played by Adam Sandler. You know what? First of all, I don't like Eli Roth. Second of all, I like Adam Sandler. I would have quite liked to have seen that. That would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Is there any talk of like him like not wanting to do it or whatever? Just dropped out. That's a shame. Don't know why. Um... Because that would have really saved Adam Sandler's career from making Grown Ups and Jack and Jill and all that shite. Um, well, it wouldn't have done because Sandler is pretty determined to make those kinds of movies. I really hope he stops doing that. But the fact that he's made um, Uncut Gems and what's the one he did about basketball? I've seen it. I just can never Hustle. remember the name. Hustle. Hustle. Yeah. He's made those films and they're, they've still got Adam Sandler's kind of quirky, unusual, shouty humour in it at points. But it's... Mm-hmm him playing these actual serious roles. So I hope he stops making that shit and for the last, you know, years of his career, he just focuses on that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Batman Begins. Go on. So, um, I think, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've definitely seen the casting reel before, but Killian Murphy was a serious frontrunner to play Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I can um, I, look. I can see why they would want to try and cast him because he's a terrific actor. There's an element of Bruce Wayne being haunted by his past. Killian Murphy does haunted really well, but I can see why they didn't give it to him because, as much as I like Killian Murphy, he's not a big bloke. Yeah, my, my, Michael Keaton was stretching it. Uh, Killian Murphy would just have been stretching it too much for the action bits of being Batman. Well, so Killian Murphy was a serious front runner and. So was Heath Ledger. Christian Bale won the part, but Nolan, obviously, you know, he, they made an impression on Nolan, I should say. Yeah. And cast them as the Joker and Scarecrow mm-hmm. um, in the first and second films. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's from, probably there's probably thousands that, you know, I've not mentioned 
Um, but those are the few that I've mentioned so far. Do you want to? Yeah, let's talk let, about some. I'll try find some. Let, more let, 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 let's let's check out. Yeah, look, there, there are some interesting ones. Enough. Um, uh, you know, you you know, certainly enough for me to kind of jump in. Um, they wanted Henry Winkler. This is for our older viewers. Henry Winkler from Happy Days is the Fonz to play the lead in Greece. Uh, he turned it down because he didn't want to be typecast as that kind of fifties greaser character. Uh, Travolta got it instead and became an absolute huge, um, huge uh, one. I was trying, I was trying to, I was racking my brains for the other one. John Travolta did three parts that John Travolta. Um, uh, he's, he's almost had this parallel career with uh, uh, with that. He, he wanted to be in Apollo thirteen and got turned down. Right. And that went to Hanks instead. He also turned he turned down uh, uh, Splash and Forrest Gump uh, that went to Hanks instead as well. Um, and that's just John Travolta having terrible like decision making capabilities when it comes to uh, to comes to films. Because although you can't imagine like someone other than than Hanks in those roles now, it's a different it's a different world if if Hanks is in these successful films you know i mean especially splash splash in 1984 is a big hit yeah. john travolta has an absolutely fucking terrible 80s um he just he, he's so good at turning down the, the the wrong parts um a couple of others that kind of caught my eye in terms of uh what ifs there's all the stories about people that could have been cast uh, as michael corleone in the godfather and and this is an example of a director really sticking to their guns to kind of uh, because Coppola didn't have the power with the studio at the time, he was he was brought in to be the director because he he'd been spotted he'd showed some talent, and Robert Evans who's a complicated character but at, at times he had a good nose for a good director, um, brought in Coppola. Now Coppola's there because he's talented. He's not there because he's the biggest name in Hollywood. So he's constantly fighting to cast the characters that he wants to play. Uh, Frank Sinatra wanted to play Michael Corleone and like lobbied for the part and had to say to Sinatra, look, maybe like the dad, but you can't play a 30-year-old just out of the war, um, huh. not at your age. Um, they considered Robert Redford to play um, uh, to play Michael Corleone in The Godfather. And people saying he's Italian. What the hell? And he says, oh, well, apparently there are some blonde Sicilians because of their Norman ancestry. And he says, yeah, but no one's going to believe Robert Redford is an Italian-American, right? Yeah, Hollywood doesn't care about the specific genealogy and ancestry yeah. of Sicilians. Yeah. Kind of <clears throat> but, I mean, I've seen a, a film which, I mean, doesn't work for a number of other reasons, but there's a film based on another Mario Puzo novel called The Sicilian, and hardly any of the actors in there have any Italian ancestry and it's so jarring you just go he's not Italian she's not Italian she's fucking German and it's like there, there is an element of if you're if you're not caught up in the story because something is distracting you it's not going to work and he was very good at sticking to his guns he brought in Italian actors from from abroad he, he stuck to his guns about Al Pacino um, but Robert De Niro nearly played Sonny he read for Sonny and, and, and they really liked him um, but it didn't quite have the energy so they you know james james khan had the right kind of energy to play that part um uh there is this is a funny one this is a bit of a red herring but the first person to be offered the role of john mcclain in die hard was frank sinatra he'd have been about fucking how old would he have been then oh he would have been like at least like 60 now the, the reason for this the reason for this is complicated and there was never any chance that he was actually going to do it. 
Die Hard is based on a novel, right? And called Nothing Lasts Forever. And it is a sort of sequel to a film called The Detective. John McClane is a police detective who, you know, gets into some scrapes. Well, this character was in, in, a, in a novel, a very obscure writer called Roderick Thorpe. He'd written novels using this actor before. One of them was called The Detective. And in the late 60s, they did a film which is quite successful based on that book called The Detective. And Frank Sinatra played that character. And contractually, I think Sinatra had some sort of clause in his contract saying, if we ever do a sequel to the movie I was in, I get first dibs on the part. So when they were talking about doing um, a sequel to, to, to that movie or doing the, the movie that became Die Hard, they were originally talking about it in the 70s. And the character in, in, in the book, he's actually trying to rescue his daughter from the, from the kidnapping situation, from the hostage situation. But, you know, films go into development hell take forever to actually get done. By the mid-80s, they still haven't, like, done it. Still haven't, like, uh, made the movie. But the contractual clause forcing you to offer the film to Frank Sinatra still exists. So they had to sort of call him up and say, look, Frank, you know, under your contract, you do have the right to play this part. Do you want to do it? And Sinatra, thankfully, had the common sense to say, I, I don't think this is me anymore. Um but so, so that's a weird one. Sometimes you have like red herrings on that. And sometimes you have ones that like, you know, really would have liked to have been done. There's a, there was a time where they were talking about Clint Eastwood playing Batman. Okay. When? Now, this, well, this would have been like the early nineties. And, and what it was, was, there's a famous graphic novel called the dark Knight returns where Batman is old. And they kind of used some of that stuff for um, the Dark Knight Rises, you know, because Batman basically comes out of retirement despite being very physically uh, sort of uh, worn out. And they also used elements of it for Batman versus Superman. Um, but at the time, it was a came out in like 1988, 89. It was a hugely successful graphic novel. And they wanted to do that as a movie in the 90s. Uh, and the reason it didn't happen was they'd only just kind of rebooted the Batman franchise from its like 60s bam pow in a Batman era and they'd done the whole Michael Keaton stuff in early 90s they're not in the mood to do like an elegiac years later Batman is old type film they, they didn't want to kind of you know they want to do Batman as in, in his main career so the timing was wrong um, to do it and by the time they were in a position to make that kind of movie Clint's too old late 80s early 90s at a push is the last time that, that Clint could have played that part but it would have been would have been very interesting yeah, I've got. I've found a few more. Go on, not, not as interesting, but well, one of them is very interesting. I think that they've completely blown up Hollywood. But um, there's loads of films that I just don't give a shit about, like people replacing characters in Notting Hill and yeah, Love actually, and all that stuff. But Justin Timberlake was rumored to be interested in the role of Elton John or touted for the role of Elton John in Rocketman. Hmm. I mean, I, I think he's a good actor and everything. I don't think he'd have pulled off the accent. I don't think he'd have pulled off yeah. the look. Yeah, I think it worked better for the aesthetic. I think Justin Timberlake is obviously the better singer, but mm -hmm. I think um, Tyron Edgerton did a very good job of that. Mm -hmm. um, Russell Crowe apparently was linked to play Aragorn, mm -hmm. but he spoke about this quite openly on the Howard Stern show. And Howard Stern says, you know, you missed out on... Um, so much money because they offered you 10% of the gross of the movie. Um, but Russell Crowe just said, Peter Jackson, he didn't think Peter Jackson actually wanted him for the film. He said he felt like Peter Jackson had been forced into speaking to Crowe because Crowe was this massive name at the time. Yeah. 
Um, but he felt like Peter Jackson already had someone in his mind and he had every right to pick who he wanted for the film. So mm-hmm. that's fair play. I mean, Russell Crowe's a pretty straight-up guy. Yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes actors are pretty honest about that. Neo, uh, Will Smith has said later that the Matrix wouldn't have been as good with him in it. Yeah. Um, the, the lead role in Shakespeare in Love pops up on this list about 13 times. Yeah. Uh, no, twice. So Gwyneth Paltrow nearly played a rose in Titanic and mm. Kate Winslet nearly played Gwyneth Paltrow's character, uh, Viola, in Shakespeare in Love. Gwyn- uh, Kate Winslet would have been better than Gwyneth Paltrow in Shakespeare in Love, although I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow was that bad in Shakespeare in Love or anything. Um, but Gwyneth Paltrow would not have worked in Titanic. No. Nah. Julia Roberts nearly played Viola or Viola, I don't know how you like to say the name, in Shakespeare in Love. Um, but these ones, these ones are all ones that we don't really give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't care about Lindsay Lohan playing Jade in The Hangover, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, but this one, where is it? I want to make sure I do this one justice because this would have blown the world up. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt playing Jack Twist and Ennis Del Mar in Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Yeah, at which point they would have just been lobbied um, by every single gay man and quite a few straight women in the world yes, going, can we have some more sex scenes, please? <laughs> I don't know if you remember when Fifty Shades of Grey come out, came out, sorry. Vaguely, yeah. But apparently in the cinemas, there was just women constantly getting up from their seats and leaving during the sex scenes and going to the bathroom. Just because it was obviously too much for them to handle. That's wow. obviously what it is. Could you imagine that times a thousand for Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That would have completely blown the world up. Another interesting one on the topic of Titanic and Leonardo DiCaprio. Matthew McConaughey um, auditioned for the role of Jack. And he said that he felt like he did a really good audition. He auditioned with Kate Winslet and he was confident he was going to get it, but he didn't hear back. No. I think that might be the first one that I've thought. Now, maybe um, the actual because when I've, I've watched I watched Titanic recently and it's a great story. Um, the CGI is a bit dated, but looking back on it, obviously Leonardo DiCaprio is iconic in that role and he does a great job with it. Mm-hmm. I think Matthew McConaughey could have maybe done a bit more, maybe done a bit better. Um. I think Matthew McConaughey at that time versus Leonardo DiCaprio at that time, yes. But you do have the problem that the character's meant to be really very young. Although, I mean, I know there's a few sides to this. On the other hand, the character is meant to have been and travelled in France and and spent some time abroad and more worldly than than Kate Winslet's character. And I think Matthew McConaughey would have done that better. Um, Again, it's it's hard to imagine because now you look back in it and it's like both characters are just so young and that's... It's a different story because Matthew McConaughey would have been in his late 20s when that came out. I think he's born in like 1969, so he's like 28 when that film comes out. And he's the sort of 28-year-old who doesn't look boyish. I mean, like, someone like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Timothy Chalamet. He's older than you think, but he looks really young. And Matthew McConaughey looks his age at least, you know? So it's a totally different, it's a totally different film. But that, but I know I know what you mean. There is more. There is an element in Titanic of him being more experienced in the ways of the world than than Kate's character, which I think he would have been a better sort of representative of than that young boyish like uh, DiCaprio, right? Yeah. Um, 
Henry Cavill as Edward Cullen in Twilight. I'm glad he didn't get it. Mm. Not because I think the Twilight films are great, but I think it would have saved him a lot of damage to his career. Mm. And Hugh Jackman comes up again, allegedly, to play James Bond for Casino Royale. Yeah, there was a lot of talk on that. I mean, whether he was actually genuinely offered it or anything else. I mean, Clive Owen was in the frame to play James Bond and everything else. I mean, every every James, every time they're, they're hiring a James Bond, lots of names get thrown up. And I think the, the reason they went with Daniel Craig in 2006 was the Bourne trilogy, or at least two parts of the Bourne trilogy were out there then, had changed the game. And Bond needed to be current with what was, you know, the geopolitics of of espionage in that time and the mood and the style. <clears throat> and they had the same second unit on Casino Royale that was on the Bourne identity. So they definitely, definitely, definitely wanted to follow the Bourne identity. And, and, and Daniel Craig is the nearest to a Bourne-like Bond. So I can believe that Hugh Jackman was considered, um, but he wouldn't he wouldn't have got the part because of other reasons, like what they were trying to do with the film overall. The same the same way Clive Owen didn't get it. There's a big one that I'd like to talk about. Um, this, this is, I mean, it's one of the, the messages on the socials was about this, uh, that this is quite, you know, a, a real sliding doors moment in, in film history. Tom Selleck was a choice ahead of Harrison Ford to be in Raiders of the Lost Ark as Indiana Jones. Like there was footage shot, there was test footage shot of him with the bullwhip and the costume and the fedora. They really wanted to, to happen. They offered him the part. Now, I don't entirely know why Harrison Ford wasn't like first choice anyway, because it's a, it's a George Lucas story filmed by Spielberg. Um, and, you know, I would have thought that Lucas would have gone, yeah, Harrison Ford, he's on my, he's on speed dial or whatever they had instead of speed dial in 1980 when they're making, you know, when they're filming. Um, I don't understand why he wasn't like a leading choice anyway. It's not, I mean, it, Tom Selleck was not a big film actor at the time. He was big on telly, but Tom Selleck was offered the role. And the only reason he didn't get the role was that he'd recently started making um, uh, Magnum P.I. on the telly, which was a very successful show, and Magnum P.I. would not release him from his contract for long enough to make the movie. The only way you could have made it back then would be in the summer months when they're not um, when they're not filming the TV show to try and squeeze Tom Selleck in. But when, when Spielberg looked at the filming schedule for Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they've got to be in whatever country they're using to represent Egypt, they've got to be in the South American jungle, they've got to be in, you know, all of those places. Um, it, it They couldn't do it, so they had to... Uh, Tom Selleck had to drop out, wouldn't be released from his contract, and only then were, were other actors considered and, and, and Harrison Ford gets to part. Now, I don't even know what your kind of history is with Tom Selleck. Um, I'm... Obviously, not seen Magnum PI. It's not really my thing. Um, well, I mean, it, it came and went before you were born, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've not really seen him in anything. Like I know he's he's like a, he's a big TV guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's a big he's a big star, and he's in the eighties, massive star on television. Never quite had like a massive film career. That's why this part, this thing sort of surprises me slightly because he's one of those people who was really big on TV. And back back then, there was a bigger gulf between film and TV. There was often you were a TV star or you were a movie star. 
film stars were reluctant to take parts in TV shows because they didn't want to kind of look like, oh, they're doing TV, they, must, they can't be getting parts in films anymore, would be the audience perception, right? And there were people who'd done TV and tried to make movies, and not everyone made the transition. Not everyone could could mix it on on the big screen. So it's by no means a done deal that Tom Selleck would be a big movie star. And in the end, what he did was he had some films that were did fine, but he was never as massive on... There's Three Men and a Baby come out in the 80s, but that wasn't just him. That was him, Steve Gutenberg, and um, what's his name? Ted Danson. So never quite like became a movie star in his own right. Um, he had a moustache. He was a very... He's, he's, sort of, he's someone now that you can't picture in anything other than 80s stuff because he sort of epitomises the 80s. Yeah. Um, uh, and he's a funny guy. I think he would have played the part differently. He, he's like in, in Magnum, he's, he's quite often he does get almost winking at the camera a little bit. He's quite, he's quite good at the kind of the light leading man kind of funny stuff which you don't automatically associate with Harrison Ford, right? Although he has done some funny things. Um, I, I just, I, you can't imagine anyone but Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, no, I, I really can't. <laughs> but that, I mean, that is, you know, that that is one where literally only because of the of the TV company refusing to, uh, 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 um, to release him from his contract, you know, Otherwise, film history would look very, very different. Um, Nick Cage was in uh, was in the frame to play Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. So Nick Cage, did you say that? Yeah. No, he wasn't. That he sounds, was. That sounds like the Russell Crowe one, where the studio wanted him, and Peter Jackson went no. Quite possibly. I mean, like I say, the thing the thing is right. Peter Jackson says no. Peter Jackson, who we discuss in the in the Hidden Gem uh, episode, this. Uh, this month as well with the Frighteners. He he was doing Lord of the Rings on the back of just having had a film that was a flop and the, the film company had put a lot of trust in him. But when there's a lot of money on the table, he, all right, you know, but by the time he's casting for King Kong, right, after he's had all the success with Lord of the Rings, he can have who he wants. But he's got to play the game with the studio a little bit. So it's possible that, like there might be like ten names, and he's sitting there thinking, all right, I can't turn them down all, right? I can't turn them all down. I'm going to have to do one or two things that kind of bend to the will of the studio. So it's possible that he gets his arm twisted and, and Nick Cage plays him. And, and in fact, they had a, a, a an actor, a less well a less well known actor, was cast before Viggo Mortensen as well, a guy called Stuart Townsend. You probably recognise if you saw him. He's in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen as Dorian Gray. Um, and only then they actually fired him because it wasn't working out. And only then did they bring in Viggo Mortensen, who I think we talk, you know, a number of times about how underrated Viggo Mortensen is. People don't realize just how good he is, but it nearly wasn't Viggo Mortensen for sure. And that's a really good example of they're lucky they didn't get what they wanted. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I'm I've found some very outlandish ones, but they're like the article is glad they didn't happen kind of thing. So I'll just kind of... Yeah. I'll pick the best ones. We've already spoken about John Krasinski as Captain America. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe <clears throat> to play Wolverine. Nope. Burt Reynolds as Superman. Nope. Tom but the, re- the reason the reason why they wanted Burt Reynolds is because he was the biggest star in America at the time, but it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston as Thor. Mm, nope. Yeah. That just doesn't have the look and ended up doing a very good job as Loki. Um, Marlon Wayans as Robin. 
in Batman Returns. <laughs> no. Leonardo DiCaprio was Spider Man. Uh, I could see that. Yeah, I don't. I don't hate that. Um, other ones. Tom Cruise's Iron Man. I heard that as well. Um, again, yeah, again, that would have been at the time. The MCU is not the star of the show, and a big name would have really helped them. So I can see why they offered it to him. Apparently, Bill Murray is Batman. Hmm. <laughs> that can't be true. Now this one. This one's mental. Jack Black is the Green Lantern. Uh, well, I mean, the Green Lantern film itself didn't work out very well, so how much worse would it have been with Jack Black in? It was 2006, so yeah. a couple, two or three years after... Um, School of Rock. He's just done School of Rock, but he's just not that... He doesn't play... I mean, he's obviously a, he's a bigger guy now, so... I don't know, maybe he would have really taken the role and maybe got into like better shape to put the suit on, but mm-hmm. I don't think that film works. And this one's my favourite. Jim Carrey is Loki. I'm I'm not totally averse to that, although I think he's a bit overage to play the part by the time the film's actually getting made. No, because Jim Carrey would have done Jim Carrey and it just doesn't work in a Marvel film. Mm. Mm. But yeah, I think uh, that's the ones that I found. The same names just kind of keep coming yeah. up, and there's now it's like TV films. So have you got any more? No, no. I thought to your point about film films being lucky they didn't get who they wanted. There's quite a few like fir- like films there where it's not the first choice person who gets it, and and if they'd got the first choice, the film wouldn't have been as good. And I think there's some examples of of like casting decisions that have hurt films. And I wanted to kind of see what you th- what you thought of them. Okay. Um, uh, Russell Crowe is Javert in Les Miserables. Uh, no. Obviously, he's not the best singer in that film. Mm-hmm. But the reason he's not the best singer in that film is because he's not the best live singer in that film. Now, what I mean is is that he's he's not singing the way musicians either record in a studio or they're singing on a stage where they're just, you know, they've like prepared not prepared. I'm trying to explain this like well. No, I, I know what you mean. Me. I think for, but, for for audiences who who for audience members who don't know, they they recorded uh, Les Misérables very differently. Normally, musicals they do all the they they basically dance around and mime during filming, and then they and then they record the songs and dub it over, don't they? And they didn't do that yeah. for for Les Mis. They don't take the singing that they do on the set because it's it's rubbish because they're moving about and they're trying to act and they're trying to do choreography mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. They're, they're not in places like theatres or, you know, mm-hmm. venues where the acoustics are done. It's just yeah. like a movie set. So it didn't work. Um, and I don't think the director, Tom Hooper, helped him at all. Mm. So I don't necessarily think he was the problem with that. I think he was fine to play the role and if they'd done it the way they did, like the Greatest Showman, and filmed and sorry recorded the music afterwards, mm. then it would have been fine. Yeah, so it's it's less the casting decision and more the combination of if if you're go- if if almost, I suppose it's a casting decision if they know at the start that they're going to record that way, they shouldn't like cast someone who needs a little bit of help in the studio. Yeah, when Hugh Jackman is a full-on Broadway song and dance like legend. Um. All right, Jared Leto is Paolo Gucci in House of Gucci. What are your thoughts? No, I I watched it again recently and thought 
he was actually very funny. And I think that uh, Ridley Scott has done it on purpose. Oh, sorry, we've got two dogs in here. No, 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 no. So, Bobby, what did you hello. think? What did you think of Paolo Gucci in House of Eyes Walking Away? Okay, good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I watched that again recently, and the first time you watch it, he's basically just playing Mario, and he's going, "It's a me, a Paolo," and you think, "What the fuck? This is meant to be like a serious film about Maurizio Gucci being murdered by his ex-wife." But I watched it again, and I feel like Ridley Scott is poking fun at how bad Jared Leto is in that film. Yeah. And it maybe. kind of it kind of works for me. Like he's just yeah. Maybe, maybe I need to watch it again because I, the thing I liked about House of Gucci was that it was almost like a gangster movie set in the fashion industry, and there is a lot of a lot of it is very very serious in tone and very deadpan. And but and and some people's criticism was they were kind of hoping House of Gucci was going to be a bit more of a camp, like a bit camper. And the only person who's giving it that element of camp is 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 Jared Leto as Paolo. So maybe. Uh, maybe they got a point. Um, Kristen Stewart as Snow White in Snow White and the Huntsman. A lot of people kind of blame her for that film not working very well. I didn't think she was actually that bad. I just didn't care. Mm. Like that, I think some of the things overshadowed that film, maybe. Yeah, I, I just didn't care. That film was boring. Yeah, And he, they had a good cast, and I think the director um, isn't a very good director, and mm. that would have... I would have got him out of the project before I got rid of Christian Stewart. Yeah, no, she, I mean, yeah, she, she's a good actress. Um, yeah, she's a terrific actress. Yeah, sometimes, but you know, miscasting is not that the person isn't talented, it's just they're not right for the part. And I think this is an example. Cameron Diaz in Gangs of New York. Yeah, that accent's a bit ropey, isn't it? But again, you think, did it harm the film? It's a bit of a flaw in the film. I mean, I think Gangs of New York is really good, but I don't, if it was all as good as my, if, if Gangs of New York was, if all of it was as good as my favourite parts of that film, it would maybe be in one of my top three Scorsese movies. But it's got some bits that are absolutely stunning. It's got some other bits that are a bit, uh, and she's one of the bits that are, uh. and I like Cameron Diaz. I think she's a very good actress. I think she's probably, I can see why she wanted to do a drama after lots of kind of rom-coms and stuff. And maybe if they'd written a stronger part for her, and maybe if they'd had a better dialect coach sorting her out the accent, but it's the sort of part. I mean, Scorsese sometimes has strong female characters in his films, like Sharon Stone in Casino. But I think the way Scorsese makes films, the actress needs to take the bull by the horns, the way Sharon Stone did in Casino, who basically just walks in and says, I'm going to fucking burn up the screen. I don't care what you've written. I'm fucking, you will not forget me in this movie. I think Margot Robbie did something similar in, in Wolf of Wall Street. And I think Cameron Diaz didn't quite, she got a bit overshadowed by, you know, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo DiCaprio, lots of kind of, you know, even Liam Neeson at the start. And I think she just, um, she just struggled to hold her own a little bit. I think, uh, I think she would have done better in that film of the accent. That's the only thing that sticks out for me. I didn't think that the actual performance was terrible. Because that's probably one of my favourite Scorsese films. But when you mention it, you think, mm, yeah, that that's definitely a weak point. However, if there was just a, pro a proper accent coach for her, you know, getting her to do the, the accent properly, then yeah, I think it would have been not as noticeable. Mm -hmm. And and here's one. And I, I think this this probably like changes the subject a little bit into like, the, you know, the why casting decisions get made and stuff like that. And we can probably jump on that now. Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher. Obviously, yeah. Stupid. See... I think in the first Jack, the first Jack Reacher film is quite good, yeah, and I think Tom Cruise 
gives a good performance, right? And I would quite enjoy seeing Tom Cruise in a slightly more down and dirty. I mean, they made the whole thing like PG thirteen in America and twelve over here. I would actually like to see Tom Cruise play a character like that, who's a total hard bastard in a sort of violent, gritty, you know, people actually getting shot and bleeding and, and a nasty type film. I think that's quite interesting. I'd quite like to see Tom Cruise do something other than that. But everybody knows that Jack Reacher is meant to be six foot five. Yeah, that's the problem. I think that film, if it's not a Jack Reacher film, stands up on its own as just like mm. a kind of gritty former marine, you know, detective story. I think that's fine. But the fact that Jack Reacher, when you've watched the series, the guy that plays him does such a brilliant job. I can't mm -hmm. remember his name. I'm going to go get his name to do him justice because it's terrible that I don't actually know his name. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's been... Well, the thing is, TV series on Amazon don't re rely on a star name quite so much. They hired an actor who could play the part more than an actor with an actual name, big name. You know? Al, Alan Richson is his name, yeah. and he is... He's spot on, isn't he? Six foot three. He's not quite six foot five, but he's a brick shit. He's very, he's a, very physically imposing bloke. Yeah, he's a, he's a big boy. He's perfect for that. And I think... I don't hate the Jack Reacher film because Tom Cruise annoyingly can do anything well apart from that god-awful mummy film. But he is... He's very good at doing the role that he wants to play. Once mm -hmm. he's invested in a film, you know that that film is going to make a billion dollars and it's going to be a seven or eight out of ten. Mm -hmm. You know? But, yeah, if you wanted to do the film properly, if you wanted to get very specific and OCD about it, technically that film shouldn't be called Jack Reacher. Yeah, I mean, look, they've, they've cast him in the part because he's because he's a star. I mean, he, he probably helped the film to get made in the first place because while Jack Reacher is a popular set of novels, again... If you sell 5 million copies of a novel, you've got a massive bestseller on your hands. If only 5 million people go and watch your movie, it makes, what's that, maybe $80 million around the world. And, and that's not enough to justify a, a big budget film. Um, again, I, I don't think, I think it's the wrong choice, but I mean, that, that's why I characterize like this. Same reason, here's another one. Keanu Reeves was cast as Jonathan Harker in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It does not work. Um, there's another one which is a. This was written about by William Goldman, and it doesn't get mentioned a lot in your online listicles. There's a film called Ghost in the Darkness. Uh, it came out in the '90s. Uh, it uh, it flopped at the time, and William uh, Goldman did a really good essay about it. He's the guy who wrote um, uh, the Princess Bride. He's a big kind of uh, sort of almost like back when writers were almost as famous as, as directors in making films um, and it came out in 1996 it had a budget of uh, 55 million and was heavily promoted but made 75 million which once you take into account distribution and marketing costs is a financial flop and the reason William Goldman says it didn't work and this is no criticism of Michael Douglas in, in the main part right because Michael Douglas is a terrific actor. He's a very, very good actor. Um, and he's an interesting actor. Do you know what I mean? It's like you make him the central character in a movie and there's something going on with him. He's genuinely really good. But Ghost in the Darkness is set in 1898. And what William Goldman said was that after you'd seen the movie, you realise the reason people didn't like the film and it wasn't successful, is no one liked or wanted or believed 
Michael Douglas as a character in a period drama, like a costume drama set in the 19th century. Yeah. He's just too contemporary. And, I mean, I don't know how much of a Michael Douglas fan you are, but, you know, think of some good Michael Douglas films and Michael Douglas films you like. Every single one of them is set in the current present day. Right. And some people, I mean, like Daniel Radcliffe, on the other hand, he looks like he belongs in a period drama because Harry Potter looks, is filled in a castle half the time. He does The Woman in Black and it's like 1903 and it's all starch collars and everything. He looks like he belongs in, 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 a, in a period drama. And some actors don't. Some actors belong in certain settings and not in others, you know? And I thought that was an interesting example of the right character, you know, Keanu Reeves isn't going to, like, do an accent or, or do that sort of thing well anyway, but people have got to fit the um the, the role you give them you know um i mean everyone talks about sophia coppola as mary corleone in the godfather part three that was just stupidity on uh uh francis coppola's part at least cast an actress poor, poor sophia coppola was 19 and she's going to be a film director, not an actress, and they, they throw her into that. That's not... I don't blame her at all. Um, uh, Kevin Costner as Robin Hood. Uh, that film's just shit, though. That's, he's not the only thing that's shit about it. That film is... Apart from Alan Rickman trying to save the day, that film is terrible. Um... Oh, speaking of which, I know this isn't a film, but I thought this would be a casting that you would have absolutely loved, but Alfred Molina and Alan Rickman were touted to play uh, Lister and Rimmer in Red Dwarf. That's interesting, because obviously they're British actors and they're not big movie stars when that film, when that when that's been made in the 80s. It's a, di- it's a, different, it's a different thing. Who's, who's Lister and who's Rimmer? Alfred Molina is Lister? I think Lister is Molina. Yeah, that I mean that. Yeah, out of those, that would work. I can't imagine anyone, but but the, the actors that they got really. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Just, I know it's TV, and that's not what we're talking about. But I thought that was that was funny. Yeah, um, I mean, look, so, and and sometimes they, I think. I mean, casting. So sometimes it's like the the director shouldn't get what they want. I think we've talked about that. Sometimes, um, I think audiences shouldn't necessarily get what they want because two thousand and eight. Dark Knight comes out, it's being discussed as a movie probably from at least a year, two years prior to that. At your age, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Heath Ledger and how, how many times you have conversations with, with others or just think yourself about movies that are being made and what you think of casting decisions. But d- would you have thought immediately of Heath Ledger to play the Joker in a movie? Uh, no. I think I was a bit surprised because the only thing I'd seen Heath Ledger in before that was A Knight's Tale. Yeah. And, you know, when I was 12 at the time, Heath Ledger, I go, oh, he was in that that weird kind of rom-com about a peasant that ends up becoming a knight. What's he doing yeah. playing the Joker in these very dark yeah. Batman films? But, yeah. I, 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 I genuinely you? thought he was a bad choice to play the Joker. I thought, what the hell is Christopher Nolan doing? Um, and it just proves how wrong I was. Um 
So it, it's funny. I mean, it's like the, the, we talk about William Goldman and the whole kind of Michael Douglas discussion. Like things. The other thing William Goldman said that anyone who's into films will will will, will say a lot. Nobody knows anything. Sometimes it's just a, it's complete guesswork, which is why they say let's let's choose a big star when they wanted to do the Rocky film. I mean, like they they want big names to play to play actors. That's one of the biggest biggest factors. Of some of the ones we talked about is that they want big names to play. Um, to play the actor and that's why it, it, it uh, you know so when you do Harry Potter obviously they're not going to go I'm sure they would have someone would have said fucking Macaulay Culkin and someone said guys he's 17 and he's not British sometimes people have to uh, uh, you know uh, do it but I mean a lot of the time it's if there's a if, if there's a, a big name could play the part, they always play that, want to play that big name regardless of whether they uh, whether they do it first choice to play Elf Jim Carrey yeah and that, that and that only didn't happen because that version of the film sort of broke down. You know what I mean? Timing didn't work. Director leaves. Produce, they 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 put it on pause. And then when they're casting the film again, Jim Carrey's like, "Ah, oh, it's not me anymore." Or, or they're just considering different actors. But if that goes ahead in its first incarnation, you got Jim Carrey as itself purely because he's a big name. Um, for, you know, for Rocky, they wanted James Khan. James Khan's great, but he's not Rocky. But we already talked about Burt Reynolds. They took they they mentioned Robert Redford. Um, it's like how how do you how do you imagine someone's playing these kind of characters? And the reason they want them is because they're big big name actors. Um, and speaking of that, mate, do you, what what do you think about film stars? Who 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 seem like film stars to you? And you know, do you and and, and say your generation, right? Because you're in your 20s, you've been getting into films since the early 2000s, so this is your era. What part do film stars play in in the movies that you watch? And, you know, casting a star in a movie, what part does that play in in, in the films you watch these days, in your opinion? I think they have to have cultivated a career of being well-known for being great in almost everything they're in and everything that they've been in is mm-hmm. to a high standard. So the name that stands out to me is someone like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I don't know the last time he was in a bad film because he chooses his film so carefully. Mm-hmm. You know, I've not loved everything he's been in, but he has been terrific in, you know, every film he's been in for the last 20 odd years. I can't... Can you think of one that's... That he's done that you've gone on. Oh, no, no, when 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 he's in control of his career, I mean, you know, early days he's yeah. in, he's in like Critters Three because he's like fifteen and he's taking whatever movie you know, but since he's like in charge, I mean, let's just have a look at, at what he did. I mean, he becomes a big star after Titanic, right? Prior to that, he's probably taking what he can get, yeah. But even then, he's choosing to do interesting stuff. Early early career moves. What's eating Gilbert Grape? The Basketball Diaries. You know, um, he's he's trying to do in you know different and interesting stuff. Um, he's in the Man in the Iron Mask the year after Titanic, which isn't very good, but he's probably cast in that. You know, uh, they probably threw some money at him. The Beach didn't quite work, but then he does Catch Me If You Can with Scorsese, Gangs of New York with Sco- sorry Catch Me If You Can with Spielberg, Gangs of New York with Scorsese. And then he the does Aviator, the, the Departed, Scorsese, Blood Diamond, Diamond, Body of Lies, which is you know he's nominated for an Oscar for Blood Diamond. He does Body of Lies with with Ridley Scott. He does Revolutionary Road with 
Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes is a bit hit or miss for me. It's not that he's not very good. It's I'm not always interested in what he does. He does. So he's doing a lot of stuff. He's, he's look at the directors he's working with: Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino. You know, The Great Gatsby's probably a misfire. Yeah, J. Edgar was a bit of a misfire, but I don't necessarily think he was terrible on that. That J. Edgar movie was just a bit boring, and I think that's down to Clint Eastwood just not taking the time to do that film properly. But you know, you look you look at the you look at the, the directors that he works with. He works with directors that are established and, and proven to be very, very good. He does J. Edgar because he gets to play a historical character that requires a bit of physical transformation. We know how much actors love that. Uh, Clint Eastwood is a an Oscar winning director of, of great reputation and J. Edgar Hoover is a fascinating character. So of course he does it. But when you look at his hit rate, it's better than most, right? Um, and he does the revenant you know obviously he can see the revenant is the kind of part that wins people oscars and i think he was oscar chasing a little bit at that point um but also inaritu is a award-winning director at that point look at you know the names that he's working with are so so strong once um, upon a time in hollywood and 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 casting a star it's um, leonardo DiCaprio is a really good example of that because for a long time right um scorsese works with robert de niro made some of the greatest films ever made probably makes the best films of his career with De Niro but as good as Scorsese is and as good as De Niro is neither of them were huge box office back then and from the from the turn of the century in the from the year 2000 onwards uh, Martin Scorsese's films get increasingly more ambitious in terms of scale he wants to do right Gangs of New York okay in which um you recreate the New York of the of the, uh, the the 1860s or whatever, and tell this big expansive story. You want to do um, the Aviator, which is a, a big budget epic about Howard Hughes, who was a billionaire who built these massive planes. Uh, the Dubai could have been done on a small scale, but all of these other films are, are much bigger, um, bigger undertakings. And Leonardo DiCaprio was perfect for Scorsese because. Scorsese looked at him and said, if I cast him in the movie, right, and then ask for a $100 million budget, I will get it, yeah? And if I cast him in the movie, he's a good enough actor that he's going to do what I need him to do, yeah? And I don't think you can say that about all the big-name stars at any given time, right? And then, he's, and then Scorsese's thinking, so as well as getting the budget that I want and a good movie, DiCaprio is such a big star that my film will be a hit because DiCaprio's in it. And he's DiCaprio is a fucking unicorn in that respect, especially in the first 10 years of this century, in that he's a good enough actor to replace Robert De Niro as Scorsese's preferred leading man, and he's a big enough name to get films made in the first place and make them hits. Yeah, you're making $400 million minimum with him in the film. That's, yeah. how, that's his pull. But I just wanted to quickly touch on his upcoming acting credits. I think these are all acting credits on his IMDb uh, listing. Yeah. He's going to be playing Ulysses S. Grant. He's going to be playing Leonardo da Vinci. He's going to be playing Jim Jones and Theodore Roosevelt. And yeah. he's in a film called The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny and Murder. Yeah. He's going to be in the black, something called The Black Hand, which I think is... That's that's early, early mafia, that is. And something called Conquest. Now, it's going to be very confusing when he plays Leonardo da Vinci because he's... Have you seen that thing on Family Feud in America where someone asks um, who painted the uh, Mona Lisa and someone says Leonardo DiCaprio? 
<laughs> no, yeah, but so, yeah. So that's going to give you a number. But what I'm trying to say is that the upcoming projects he's making, I want to see every single one of them. Do you know what I mean? It would, yeah. I'm just thinking it would be worse though if he's in a movie about Leonardo da Vinci and he's not the one playing da Vinci because every time someone says Leonardo, he'll turn around and ruin the scene. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of he's kind of the new Jack Nicholson. Uh, at the point where Jack Nicholson became big box office, because there was a time, believe it or not, when Jack Nicholson wasn't big box office, um, in that he's he's a good actor. He's always casting around looking for interesting roles. and, and But like you say, sometimes you wonder if his colourful private life is, is a distraction. Um, but on the film work, you know, DiCaprio is he's such so strong, isn't he? But I mean, if you're going to... I mean, so the other example of like why you need to cast a star, the other example of why you need to cast a star is John Carter, which we covered last uh, last month on, uh, you know, uh, the, when they tried to do the story that became John Carter back in the day. And we, so we touched on the fact that when they did make it, there was it was a massive failure. But one of the reasons they point to about um, John Carter being a, a, a flop is they didn't have a star in the leading role because... That it's not an immediately strong franchise. The thing about Harry Potter was those books were huge, right? And while I'm sure there was talk of casting whoever, I bet you someone said Haley Joel Osment at one point to play Harry Potter, right? Um, because yeah. he was a big name child actor. But people put the foot down and said, no, the story is the star. Harry Potter is already famous. Cast an actor who's right for the role, yeah? Just... You know, and do the usual thing, cast lots of child actors, you know, audition lots of child actors until you find the right people. But if you don't have a, a big name property that you're making a movie of, a story that everyone's going to go and watch anyway, you need a star. And Taylor Kitsch is not a big name star. So one of the reasons John Carter flopped is they didn't have a movie star. At the same time, though, some of the biggest blockbusters these days... I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is a big name before he does Iron Man, right? But he's not such huge box office that he makes the movie. It's kind of like he was perfect for Tony Stark and Marvel was about to hit it big with its films. And, you know, when they cast um, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, he's not a huge actor, but, you know, the uh, Marvel films are big, so it's going to be big and they cast the right guy to play the part. They th Those people have gone on to be big film stars, but... You know Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, but in today in, in today's movies, do, do they make a difference to a film when they're being cast? Do you say, oh, it doesn't matter what 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 happens? We'll cast Scarlett Johansson. We'll change the part to suit her, which I'm sure people have done. She will make the movie successful. Are the are these modern day film stars? Are, are are they that kind of star? Do they do they make all the difference when they get cast? I think in a way they do because that's the initial draw, isn't it? It's the um, that's the th like the three big names that you see on the poster. If you know two of them aren't big names, then you're going to have a harder time convincing people to come and see the film. Mm. Now that's not to take away from up and coming actors trying to break through, and I do like it when you know I know that Christopher Nolan tried to do the, that kind of thing with Dunkirk and Tenet, where he cast. I know where John David Washington wasn't. An unknown yeah, yeah but but they're, they're they're lesser known because he doesn't want to be distracted from the story, right? Yeah, and he did the same with Dunkirk casting. Um, yeah, he did that entirely with yeah young you know British actors 
who were not household names. Mm-hmm. But from a, like a studio's perspective, you want you know they obviously pushed very hard with Tom Hardy and Dunkirk at the same in the same kind of sentence there. But mm. um, they they want to push hard. They think right, well, we need a big name to um, be attached to this because we're trying to sell this film so if it's not a film like lord of the rings which is going to generate loads of interest anyway because it's the lord of the rings and it's one of the most famous books of all time then you have to think right what's a big reliable hollywood name that we can feasibly get for this film to try and make it a big thing now leonardo DiCaprio will be a very hard actor to get to a film because um i imagine he commands quite a large fee and he doesn't mm-hmm. do films all the time there's a four-year gap between the revenant and once upon a time in hollywood mm-hmm but you know you're thinking of names like Robert Downey Jr. Now he's had a lot more misses than uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, but you know that if you put Robert Downey Jr. in a film and the story's solid, then you've instantly generated you know maybe two hundred million, two hundred fifty million more in um, ticket sales just for people that want to see him in that film. I mean, do do you think like Robert Downey Jr. is that kind of uh, box office draw? I think now after the extreme success he had playing Iron Man. Mm. Definitely. So that these people are stars because of the, the, because they were in such such massive films. Well, yeah. I mean, if you were to say you were to do Chaplin again, mm-hmm. and Robert Downey Jr. was um, playing Chaplin when he's a bit older, um, you would, as opposed to casting Robert Downey Jr. when he's a relative unknown in nineteen ninety one or ninety two, whenever it was, you mm-hmm. cast him now. You're actually going to get a lot of people of this generation thinking, oh, what's this film going to be about? And interested in it more because it's Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. 100%. I think that the the profile of stars has changed. And I don't think it's the stars who are the problem, but I think the way Hollywood is now uh, the way it's a combination of factors that have meant that big budget films, they, when you look at something like Lethal Weapon or you look at something like you know all the Arnie films and a lot of the films in the eighties and nineties, there was definitely an element of cast a star. You need a star. The star is what makes the movie successful, right? But if you look at all the MCU films, or even Marvel films that aren't strictly MCU but you know are based on Marvel characters. Tobey Maguire isn't the reason everyone went to see Spider-Man. Robert Downey Jr., he's probably quite a big name for Iron Man, but that that's, you know, Iron Man is big because it's because Marvel is getting big. Chris Hemsworth, Hemsworth is not the reason people went to see Thor. And, uh, you know, as good as Chadwick Boseman is, he's not the reason everyone watched Black Panther. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like once people are stars, they become a draw for the movie. But I feel like the way in which stardom is generated now is is different to the old days. I mean, if you look at the top box office films of all time, and you know, and most of them are are recent ones: Avatar, Avengers, Endgame, Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, I mentioned Titanic actually. Star Wars Episode Seven, Avengers: Infinity War, Spider Man: No Way Home, Jurassic World. Uh, the new live-action version of the Lion King and and the first uh, sort of Avengers film in 2012. That's the top ten of all time, right? Uh, the next the next one below below that is Furious Seven. Um and family. Those films are big because the the for want of a better word franchise is big, 
and and Avatar was a Avatar was successful without a massive star in the main part because I think James Cameron is the big name director. And you go further down the list, it's like the the next Nolan film will have big name actors in it, but no, Christopher Nolan is the draw for the movie. And uh, you know the the uh, the character or the story because it's part of like a, you know a, a comic book franchise or a hugely successful storyline. That seems to be a bigger factor in whether a film is hit now a hit nowadays than in casting an actor. And obviously, the the one who's bucking the trend on this is Tom Cruise. But Tom Cruise is sixty years old. He did his first movie in the in the eighties. Where are the new film stars coming from? Um, I think we've mentioned a few names. Yeah. Um, well, no, we've mentioned a few films that have contributed to actors. No being those big roles. I think Tom Holland's now a big name. Chris Hemsworth's now a big name. Yeah. Um, and these franchises have contributed to that. But I think the point you've just made also ties into the point that I made is that a big franchise will draw anyone regardless. Yeah. And a big director that everyone knows will draw people to see that film. But if you are just making a film... Say it's a an up and coming director. It's a new, interesting, exciting story. If you just go with three young actors who have done a little bit of TV work and they're like in their early to mid twenties, you're gonna have a harder time selling that film without casting a big name. Mm. I know we've kind of gotten off the topic of these casting. No, but tips, the, th- the thing is, I mean, we talked about we talked about casting or tips, but I think what it turned into is like, why do people cast the actors that they cast in movies? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I but, mean, uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, you like finish your point, mate. Yeah, but I think if you've got a film like, you know, they seem to be just churning out Marvel franchises left, right, and center, um, whether it's TV or film, and they're getting mixed reviews, but they're still generating buzz and they're still generating income um, through, um, you know, you know, you know, box office sales, but. If we, if you and I were to make a film tomorrow, you know our first film, first film as writers, or first film as directors, producers, whatever, and we're thinking, right, how do we make our money back? We're gonna have a very hard time selling the film, no matter how good the script and the story is, without one of these Hollywood names that you mentioned at the start, like a Leonardo DiCaprio or mm. Robert Downey Jr. or a, or a Brad Pitt, and that's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing because, like we've said, where are these young and up up and coming actors coming from? Because mm-hmm. we. You know, we want everyone to get a fair crack at the whip. If they've got the talent, they've got the talent. Um, and you want them to have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and I guess that the, the, the flip side to, um, to, to this is that if, if, if the film is going to be successful enough on its own, people can go out and choose the actor who's best for the part. And you know, someone if you if you if you see Chris Hemsworth, this guy's going to be a star. He's a terrific actor, and he looks and, and is right for Thor. And and Chris Evans has that perfect combination of the look and jewelled heroic American style, but also is a you know a, a decent actor, but can embody the character of Captain America. You have the freedom to actually cast a right actor because that dependence on on movie stars to make the movie is less. So you do. In, in a way, I suppose I'm arguing against my own point, but if you choose the right actor for a film that's going to be successful anyway, you actually can make a star, but also have the right actor in your film. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the time you're looking at them going, oh, well, we cast this actor because he was, you know, like Jack Reacher in, 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 um, 
uh, Tom Cruise and Jack Reacher, if they just said, look, Jack Reacher's big enough on its own, let's just cast the right actor, that would have been better for the movie. But the people who took made money from Jack Reacher being a hit probably disagree, you know? Yeah, totally. Of the casting what-ifs that you looked up, are any that you think you wish that had happened? You actually would have preferred that to what we actually got? Oh my goodness, we named so many. Um, I think I would have been interested in Sean Connery playing Morpheus, purely for his voice alone. Um, I think Hugh Jackman as Captain Jack Sparrow, but in a different type of film, not the kind of kooky um, weirdo that uh, Johnny Depp ended up playing would have been fun. But other than that, I think the casting was sort of spot on. I suppose it depends on do you want to do the film again entirely? Like, mm-hmm. I think Will Smith would have worked in Django Unchained as it was. Mm-hmm. So you can take out Jamie Foxx and Will Smith might have done a little bit of a different job, but I think he would have, Tarantino would have gotten to do basically the same thing that Jamie Foxx did. I think I'm just, I've just enjoyed that film so many times with Jamie Foxx in it that I don't care if Will Smith was in it or not. But I don't, no one particularly sticks out to me, you? Yeah, I mean, it is one that would be interesting. The, the, the Kingsman films, they're not my favourite films anyway, but one one decision that could have gone differently was they were thinking of John Boyega to play Eggsy, the main character. Yeah. And obviously his, when you see him in, um, in Attack the Block, he played a, he did a good job of playing that, you know, genu- genuinely from the streets, genuinely that young character who's living in a bad environment and has that kind of rough edges to him. Um, uh, trying to think about other ones that, you know, that you could have got. Um, I mean, apparently they could have got Hugh Grant as Gilderoy Lockhart, but they went with Kenneth Branagh instead. Again, six and two threes, that one. Yeah, I know what you mean. For me. Would you have liked to have seen Hugh Jackman have a go at Bond? Maybe before um, before um, uh, Daniel Craig has a crack at it? Yeah, for sure. I think he's the one where I think, yeah, you would have done a very good job of that. He's a terrific actor and he knows how to do action, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean, these are hard to imagine other people doing a good job, but apparently Michelle Pfeiffer was considered to play Carice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. But it's hard to imagine anyone but Jodie Foster doing it. Yeah. Um, they were considering Johnny Depp as Ferris Bueller. Would you have liked to see a young Johnny Depp have a crack at that? I don't like that film very much, so yeah, do whatever you want with it. Yeah, I guess there's, a, there's an element of smugness to it. The only way like Ferris Bueller works to me is if if, if Ferris Bueller is actually Cameron's like uh, imaginary friend, because <laughs> I I don't get Ferris at all. I think it's a good shout what you said about Matthew McConaughey is as Jack in Titanic yeah. because he's supposed to be worldly and and Leo isn't. He's like a fresh faced fresh faced boy. Yeah, it's it, it it is hard to imagine like different people, you know, get getting parts in a in a in a in a role like that when you think. Yeah, again, I mean, for example, they talk about Margot Robbie playing Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four film. Now she would have been good, um, but I don't think it would have saved the film from being shit because so many other things about the film were shit. It wasn't necessarily ruined. I mean, you know, Superman Returns would have been a much better film if they cast anyone other than the person they did as Lois Lane. 
because um, what's her name again? Kate Bosworth. Yeah, I mean, she was 21 or something, playing meant to be playing an experienced Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. That's, you know, bollocks. Um, Al Pacino was Rambo. No. Now, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit on this because the, the original Rambo is a book and the main character is not necessarily a big muscly guy. And they made the film different because uh, because they had Stallone in it, right? Uh, so, uh, if they wanted it to be more realistic, they would have they would have done something different, you know. They were talking about Sasha Baron Cohen as Freddie Mercury. Yes, he's too tall, though. He is too tall, and it is hard to see him doing anything serious. I know he's done this trial of the Chicago Seven, and he got um, praised for that. But again, I'm not against actors that are you know, kind of typecast to one genre or one role, kind of breaking out from that, like Adam Sandler. Mm. So I'm all for, maybe not necessarily that role, but if Sasha Baron Cohen wants to do more serious things, then, you know, absolutely. Here's one. Here's one that's going to be a bit controversial because we both love this film and it's iconic with the person that's in it. But when I heard about Robin Williams getting the main part in The Shining, I genuinely would have liked to have seen that. Um. Yes. Because as much as I love Jack Nicholson, the one flaw in The Shining, and I don't think Stanley Kubrick would have seen it as a flaw, is that you look at him and you go, yeah, don't leave that bloke on his own in a hotel over the winter. He'll go fucking nuts, you know? Yeah. And Robin Williams was much more of the kind of, more like an everyman, and I think he'd have loved to have done it. Yeah, more affable. Yeah. So, but again, you're talking about, um, and oh, what the other one you mentioned, Adam Sandler as the Bear Jew, would have fucking loved that. Yeah, that would have been terrific. Um, and it's it's sort of thing where you might say, why don't we write it up a bit? Um, why, why, why don't we give him a bit more to do? Which you can't do with Eli Roth because he's not an actor. Um, um, so yeah, that's um, oh, it, it, here's one. Here's one that's interesting. And again, I'm not sure if this is like a genuinely kind of prefer it, but Emily Blunt was all all set to play Black Widow. Uh, okay. uh, she was going to, you know, because she starts out in Iron Man 2, doesn't she? And then emerges as, as Black Widow through the subsequent films. She was all set. There's pictures of her in a costume and everything. She had to drop out. I can't remember why. She might have got pregnant, something like that. Um, I might be getting that wrong. But for some reason, she had to drop out. And um, they went with uh, they went with Scarlett Johansson. Said, now, I think Scarlett Johansson is terrific, but it is genuinely interesting. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to settle for the films that you did get, you know? Yeah, um, but it, it, it's one that we, it's one that we touch on in our um, remake restoration because one of the reasons we you know I propose the shipping needs to be done differently is the casting. So you can look back on that. I don't want to ruin it. Go back and listen to it. Uh, what you know, hopefully you've already listened to it. But if you haven't, go back and listen to it. It's uh, part two of this month. Um, so yeah, and, and any other kind of thoughts on like casting what ifs and casting decisions, mate? Um. No, I think we've covered it pretty well. Um, I'm actually surprised. I didn't think we were going to get much, not much out of it, but I didn't think we were going to talk and go into much detail as we did. So I'm, I kind I'm of, I that. kind of assumed we would go off and ramble, ramble yeah, off. No, that's, I'm happy with that. Are you? No, that's good. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening. We'll do the credits in a second. That concludes uh, episode 39 for this month. Um, so hope you enjoyed it all, and hopefully uh, speak to you next time.
That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited in Audacity and hosted on Spotify. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Outside of Double Reel, you can find us both hosting a non-film related podcast, The Adamson's Versus. Our most recent episode, The Adamson's Versus Tales from the Campfire, is out now. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off, and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Our next episode will be our regular episode 40 next month. Keep an eye out for any special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and tell your friends. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. And if you work for the BBC, you behave now. (laughs) 